0: Big Apple, she wanna wants to to be a, a, a part a of BA. <coughs>
1: story episode 44 i'm your host ian kath welcome back everybody it's good to have you back today is the final the final episode the final four conversations i had with people while i was over in Buenos Aires back in july it was a great deal of fun it's a bit sad to be wrapping this up but uh this is all the recordings that i have it was uh, a lot of fun for lots of reasons a good adventure for myself and i did some other episodes the addendum episodes which hopefully you've listened to and hopefully you've enjoyed if you haven't you can always go back and get them I enjoyed those a great deal, and I enjoyed these ones as well. Last episode, I started a bit of a conversation, and thanks very much for getting back to me, those people who did. Uh, people got back to me on my private Facebook page, uh, this Facebook fan page there as well, and we were having a bit of a chat about what makes a great conversation. And I want to continue to build on this theme, and I want to ask you, get back to me and let me know, what's your opinions on what that's a great conversation? How do you actually get a great conversation going? You know, we know about pickup lines, which work and don't work, but I'm talking about, I'm not excluding those, but I want to go a lot bigger than that. I mean, how do we actually interact with people when we first meet them at a business meeting, at a social meeting, at a family gathering? How do you start a conversation? Do you talk about the local uh, cultural things? Do you talk about what's happening in society? Do you talk about politics? Do you talk about religion? Do you talk about what they do for a living. How do you start? Do you actually start with a statement? Do you start with a question? I'm interested to know what have you found works well and let's start a bit of a discussion. I'm curious to know what your thoughts are about these things. You can get back to me of course, leave a comment at the end of the post. You can send an email of course to chat at yourstorypodcast.com. There's a Facebook fan page as well and you can also friend me on Facebook or Twitter. Ian Cath, that's my name. Cath spelt with a K. Uh, pretty simple. Get a hold of me. Love to have a chat. Over on the site, of course, you've got all the links, the uh, iTunes and the feed links. I just found out the other day that the iTunes link is broken, which I'm going to have to fix as as soon as I get off this. Don't know what happened, don't know why it broke, but I'll go and fix that. If you ever come across something on the site that isn't working, just let me know and I'll get about fixing it as soon as I can. And, of course, the music is from Iodo PromoNet, where I get all the great music that I use. It has a bit of backing track. You can always support them by downloading the music or going and buying it. That helps the artist. That helps me. That's all good. Today's show, like I said, Frank was introduced to me by Fred from Silver Star Car, who I mentioned in the previous episode. And Frank is a person who decided to migrate. He fell in love with an Argentinian lady, and he decided to migrate to Buenos Aires. Give it a bit of a shot. He tells the story of arriving before the economic collapse and what happened with the economic collapse and what that was like. He also explains how he decided to give away his corporate career and actually go out in business on his own. And he started this, you know, it's interesting, isn't it? When you come into a new environment, you can see opportunities that the locals maybe can't see. And he saw an opportunity whereby there was no gourmet cookie manufacturers, gourmet biscuits as we call them here in Australia. So he started a business doing exactly that. And basically, he has the market share of it. And he tells his philosophy on starting that business, getting out of the corporate scene, and what it's like to be a family man living in Argentina. Here's Frank's story.
2: Friday, the 17th of July, 2009. Hello, Frank. Hello. You're here in Buenos Aires as a
0: cookie manufacturer. Yeah.
2: And you're an American.
0: And I never thought I was going to be a cookie manufacturer.
2: <laughs> what are you doing here, mate?
0: Yeah, let alone be in Argentina. I'm originally from Chicago. Okay. And I met a girl there who happened to be Argentine. Mm, I'll see a theme. Yeah. And, uh, well, actually, after a few years... You know it got a little bit serious and she wanted to um, come back down to live in Argentina and I always was open to the idea of living outside the States you know and uh, I didn't know anything about Argentina myself either so she asked I followed I said yes uh, we came down here actually after our first year we got married uh, one year after we we came here yeah I really really I, I, I like the place right away I,
2: so, you came here because you fell in love with a girl who comes from this town. Yeah. Then does she come from Buenos Aires? Yeah. Yeah, she does. Mm-hmm. And how did you feel about leaving Chicago, leaving the United States?
0: Well, it was an adventure. You know, I, like I said, I was always open to the idea of living outside the States. You know, I wanted to see how it, w- it would be outside.
2: Did you like the idea of running away from the States for any reason?
0: No, not, I wasn't really running away from anything. Uh, more going towards something. Yeah. Yeah,
2: sure.
0: One of the things that made it a little bit easier, I think, would be that my ancestry, my, my mom's from Mexico and my dad's from Colombia. Okay. So the language wasn't going to be a barrier. Uh, the culture, I was at least would think that it would be something similar it wasn't like i was going to china for example or japan you know? or australia <laughs> or australia yeah. no I, I would like australia i would like to visit australia as well so <laughs> yeah, it's, not, it's a nice place uh, yeah even though it was a big jump it wasn't a huge you know stretch for me sure yeah i was pleasantly surprised i mean you come down here and the place is uh, it's great you know so when
2: did you first arrive here
0: it was in 99 in 1999,
2: so before yeah. the economic collapse. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So how was it? Then you know, paint a picture for us, word picture of what it was like before and what it was like after.
0: Well, you know, it was a little surreal because when, you know, I come down to this place and it's supposed to be third world, you know, and right away, at that time it was, the, the currency was pegged to the dollar, so one peso was one dollar. It was expensive to live here. I mean, it was, I remember back then the famous Mac index where they measure economies through the cost of a Big Mac in different places and McDonald's was one of the most expensive McDonald's was in Argentina right? or expensive Big Macs. And I remember that the wealthy Argentines would vacation in the US because the US was so cheap and even we found ourselves saving up money that we wouldn't really buy stuff here. We'd go to the US because that's, that's when you shop, that's when you buy stuff. Because here it was just very, very expensive. And everything in the US seemed very, very cheap. You know, it seemed like it was really weird. It's like, okay, you know, I'm supposed to be in the third world. I'm supposed to be suffering. And the US is like our little shopping playground. Then, the like you mentioned, the crisis hit in 2001. It, Man, that was really strange. I mean from one, just imagine, from one day to the next. I woke up, The, the it, it's like one, one, one moment you have, um, everything's normal, the next day you wake up and you realize that you don't have access to your money because everything is in a the bank. They basically shut down the banks. There was a, a flight, a capital flight of money. To keep people from taking out all, all their money, they, they shut down the banks. And I remember for the first week, nobody had money. (laughs) Uh, It was chaos because people were also, at the time, um, they were rioting and they were raiding supermarkets. At one point, we were thinking, well, you know, we might have to actually leave the country. In order to survive. Yeah, because it was just getting to be really chaotic. It was also kind of weird because you, you look at the new, at the at the TV and you see these riots going on like in downtown Buenos Aires, and we're only like fifteen minutes away, but around us it was kind of calm. You know, uh, there was no riots yeah. on the street, so it was it was kind of isolated that way. But you did you did have that that economy where you know it just just got decimated when they informed us or when they told us that okay the peg to the dollar don't no longer exist and all of a sudden you're one you know it cost at that time i think it was um, uh, three pesos you know to the dollar uh, it's like all of a sudden actually when it went even higher i think it was at one point it was like four pesos to the dollar well at the moment it's about four yeah it's just under four. But this happened overnight.
2: Yeah, yes. <laughs> and so that meant that any money you had in pesos suddenly had a quarter
0: of its value. Right, and if you happen to have dollars in the bank, forget days. it. <laughs> no, 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 forget it. They changed into dollars. They, they they wouldn't give you dollars back.
2: So if you had U.S. dollars in your bank account here,
0: yeah, it was
2: vaporized. Yeah. Did they turn into one to one pesos?
0: Or did it just vaporize? No, because uh, now whatever amount, whatever money you had in the bank was pesos.
2: Okay. So if you had a hundred US dollars in the bank, it was suddenly a hundred pesos. Right. So somebody made a killing on that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Which, and, all, and, also, and then all of a sudden overnight you had your, your dollar turned into a quarter. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So.
2: so if you had a wealth of a hundred thousand dollars, you suddenly had $25,000. Yep. Exactly.
0: That's exactly what it was. Um, okay.
2: Ah, here it comes. We've, the just, tea. we've just had our tea <laughs> and
0: our cookies arrive. <laughs> Which is yeah,
1: grassy,
0: yes, yes. This is a, an almond this an almond cookie tea. Oh the tea's almond, is it? Yeah.
1: Okay.
0: Um, it's green. So, so yeah, so Overnight, bang. Yeah, bang. And then, and then you couldn't take your money out of the bank. So um, they started inventing currencies. At one point, we had like seven different currencies, um, which was, you know, kind of hard to <laughs> keep track so, of. So
2: you didn't have just Argentine pesos, no, and U.S. dollars, like you have now. You had all these other ones.
0: How did that work? Like coupons and stuff.
2: Oh, so almost manufactured money to get by.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: Almost like ration cards back in the war.
0: Yeah, yeah, goodness. So that happened, um, and and also companies that that give the food coupons, for example, yeah. for their like lunch, they call them luncheon tickets. Okay, uh, those all of a sudden you know became went up in value because that was a new currency. So
2: so did all of a sudden all these other um, forms of currency start to be traded? Like if you got a cab, wanted to get a cab and you didn't have pesos or US dollars,
0: you would start trading in these coupons and things. Uh, yeah, because that's how, the only way you can go to the supermarket and buy, uh, buy foods, for example, uh, or, or basically anything. That was the chaos, and then slowly, you know, it started to uh, calm down a little. At first, they started, um, for example, they were to allow you to buy big-ticket items through bank transfers. So,
2: so cars and televisions right. and stuff like that. Right. Okay.
0: So then that was one way that you can ha- start accessing. They started giving you access to your money slowly uh, and in big chunks that way. But
2: without actually having to be drawn out of the bank. It was just electronic transfers. Yeah. Okay.
0: I remember that time because our first daughter was born in 2002. We, at the time, we decided to buy a new car. Uh, and it was through that. We were like, okay, we can get some money out of the, out of a small bank that the family had and and get it out of there and turn it into a car.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> you know, at least you get your money out.
2: <laughs> you said that it, over a period of time it slowly changed. What was that What was that period of time? Weeks, months? No, years?
0: no, no, it was like a year. The economy did start to uh, to get better because obviously there was a lot of pent up demand too. All of a sudden Argentina, Argentine goods were very cheap compared to what they were before the, the crisis. A lot of activity that well, yeah. the
2: export industries would start to go, hey, we've got a great thing to give to the world now.
0: Right. But it wasn't just exporting, I mean, it, it affected internally as well. Because before, it was uh, everything was expensive. But then after the crash, you know, the value of everything went down.
2: Oh, really? So hmm. even for Argentines living here, right. it became more affordable to live here. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? You yeah. would have thought that it would have stayed the same as it is, say, today. If you're in country and you're um, and you're dealing with the currency and earning the currency. You'd think it'd stay the same, but it didn't. It actually got cheaper. Mm-hmm. All right. No. What about the influx of overseas money? Did suddenly everybody go, Argentina is the golden-haired child of the holiday destinations, and start flocking here?
0: It didn't happen overnight, but it did happen because I remember before the crisis, Argentina did have tourism, but it wasn't you know a big tourist spot. Uh, whereas now, you have quite a lot of, of tourism. <laughs> like me. Exactly. That's, it's, it's interesting to, to see that change you know, in, in the city and in the country.
2: So when you came here in ninety nine, was yeah. it? Two years later, it goes through the floor. Yeah. you were considering going home, going yeah. back to the US. Why didn't you? Because well, it sounds like it was a pretty tough first year from. End of 2001 to 2000 through 2002.
0: Right, that, that was a tough time. But also at the time, we we're it, a lot of things were going through our head. One was we possibly would leave the country, but we decided to stay. As fast as things got chaotic, they kind of calmed down pretty quickly as well. For us to stay, we thought, well, you know, all around us, companies were leaving left and right, you know. Um, and we at that moment decided that we wanted to, if we weren't going to stay, we wanted to do our own thing. So, we started a couple of ventures. We quit our corporate jobs. We have our so you work family.
2: In, you work in corporate in a corporation here.
0: I was working for a, a multinational relocation company. Uh, I was in corporate sales. Okay. Them. And my wife at that moment was working for Western Union, again in their corporate offices. And um, so, one of the things that we did is we came up with our own brand of organic preserves for export. And while that was happening, I managed to talk my wife into baking some cookies at home for the purpose of, of doing a study to see you know, just how accepted they would be you know, around here.
2: And I'm chewing on a chocolate one right now, and I tell you, it's pretty damn good.
0: No, thank you. <laughs>
2: good, cho- good quality chocolate. Yeah, That's... you're not using rubbish chocolate like a lot of the this cookie manufacturers do.
0: Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, well done. You know, which is one of the which is one of my pet peeves. I mean, the it's not that you couldn't find chocolate chip cookies here. You could. It was rare. They weren't very popular. But it was because when you tried one, you really the the taste was just. Mm. Not good. Cheap chocolate full of emulsifiers yeah. and stuff. You know, this is good chocolate.
2: Great. Thank you. Sorry, I'd say so you've you got the wife, got the missus on to cooking a few biscuits at home.
0: Yeah. Meanwhile, we're, we get the export business going, and at the same time, the cookie business starts growing as well. After a couple of years, the our importer in the States, uh, he goes belly up. At that moment, costs here started going up in dollars, and... So, our ingredients were, were our costs were going up. There was in, there was inflation, so our costs here mm-hmm. were going up steadily, mm-hmm. uh, and at that moment, is when it started going up quite a bit. So we decided to uh, cancel the organic preserve venture, but at the same time, our the cookie uh, business was going up. I mean, that one was growing. So we. Put all our energies into the cookies.
2: Okay, and the preserves that no longer happens. No, no. Okay, and the cookies are booming.
0: Yeah. Well, now, like I said, we started in two thousand two, and now we have this plant, which is eight hundred square meters. Did you purpose build this? Oh yeah.
2: Yeah. No, it's a slick, slick, clean operation. Thank you. It's nice to see a, a <laughs> new building in in this city. Yeah. For a change. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, we wanted to make a model plant, and so far. The feedback we've been getting from people who are in this profession when they come and they um, uh, and they analyze uh, the building um, because we have quite a few picky customers like uh, Starbucks and McDonald's and uh, Jumbo, which is uh, Senkosu, a multinational company, and whatnot. and they have to inspect the facilities, and they all say that they've never been into a, a baking facility like this one.
2: Isn't that great? <laughs> yeah. That's great. Do you export, or is it all for the local market?
0: We have done some spot exporting. We don't have an importer in some other country that that does it consistently. That's kind of like next on my, my list.
2: Right, so the market is Buenos Aires, or is the market Argentina or South America?
0: Right now, it's all Argentina. We, we have distribution. I mean, you can find our cookies uh, up in Misiones, uh, or you can go all the way down to Ushuaia, and you can find them there. Okay. And everywhere in between. Actually, we were the first gourmet cookie brand here.
2: Oh, really? So all it, the other, all the others were big companies and it, multinationals and
0: right. all the usual. All the like mass-produced yep. cookies that you find in the supermarket. That was it. You didn't have a gourmet cookie yeah. uh, brand. Yeah, because this is just basically a variation on what mum cooks
2: at home, isn't it? You just, I imagine you've got bigger ovens and bigger batches and mm-hmm. things like that, but it's, it's not a... I haven't had a look around. I'd like you to take me around a little bit later. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in the manufacturing, but I'd imagine you don't have huge conveyor belts and... Nope. Automatic <laughs> machines pumping out stuff.
0: No, in fact, if, the, if you look at the cookie and the chunks of the chocolate, the chocolate's cut by hand. Oh, really? Um, yeah (laughs) and if you look at the ingredients list you're not going to see a bunch of scientific names on there you're going to see ingredients like butter
2: wow butter uh, how about that flour flour. right it's
0: going to be a simple ingredients list Right. Uh, and that was the idea the idea was there is no better chocolate chip cookie than the ones that you eat at home somebody baked them Uh, those are have always been the best ones Mm -hmm. and I wanted to recreate that um, and Put it up on the store shelves here,
2: and it's a, it's a good raging business.
0: Yeah, actually, the supermarkets the supermarkets have given us credit for opening up this this segment for them. Oh wow! Because um, before you couldn't you didn't really have gourmet cookies imported in here. You couldn't find any. They just didn't have that. They just had the just the cheap mass produced sweet biscuits. Sweet biscuits, you yeah. You know. yeah um, whereas now next to next to us now you'll have the closest thing that would be imported and the higher quality would be Pepperidge Farm um, it's still a mass-produced very large company um, but it's not it's a gourmet product right so. it's not an Oreo it's it's mostly just us wow <laughs>
2: nice you find a niche and you fill it and you, you create well you create a niche mm-hmm. basically how do you find the life here in Argentina compared to the life back in the U.S. and I've never been to the U.S. so I only know the U.S. from the Brady Bunch in Gilligan's Island.
0: <laughs> well um, here everything is uh, it's kind of like the country The country is very centralized on Buenos Aires and when you come to live here you realize that everything is centralized um, like everything's like 15 minutes away practically very family-centered see there was a another expat who put it this way, you have a very high quality of life, a low standard of living, high quality of life type of place. Or you don't have all the all the stuff, you know, all the latest stuff, or it's not so easy to get to, it's kind of expensive. But what you do have, you have access to having a maid, for example, which is in the States is utter luxury. I mean, I don't know anybody who has a maid. Uh, whereas here, it's so common. And now that we have one, I don't know how I could live without one, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, that's something that I did have to get used to. Also, the grandparents take, uh, are very involved in taking care of the kids. Uh, family is very involved. In, I mean, we see family all the time. Uh, whereas in the States, it's kind of difficult. Uh, we're, like, spread out much farther. It's so much bigger, and here because of that centralized thing, they, we're we're so we live close to each other, we see each other all the time, uh, we help each other out constantly. So it's fully
2: involved in each other's lives. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. That's yeah. very different.
2: You said low standard of living and high quality of life. Mm-hmm. and It reminds me of uh, Bhutan in uh, Asia. They have uh, <laughs> they call it gross national happiness. That's their goal. <laughs> As That's a, a great goal to have. Yes, gross national happiness, not productivity or income or any of that stuff. It's happiness, and it reeks that this is what's going on here. You know, we may not have a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. We don't have the latest iPods and cars and stuff, but we have community. We yeah. have passion.
0: We have the juice of life. Would you agree? Yeah. I, to a certain yeah. To a certain. To a great extent, yes. You have the op- there's also the option. I mean, there are people that that are caught up in in that sort of life, like in the states, where they're always rushing and they're always working and they're always and they're always looking out to see who's got what and all that. But it's a, a very much smaller segment, I think, uh, here. Is that
2: where we are here, as far as a place? You know, would Pomona, Ricoletta be those parts of Buenos Aires that?
0: that you could probably find yeah you could probably find that around here Um, the thing is this area it it changed so much I mean when we first moved to this area around here um, it was a very quiet residential neighborhood it was it was uh, an up-and-coming one in that every once in a while you have this like a a new restaurant, you know, a trending restaurant that not very people know about. So everybody that's in the know goes. Uh, but most of the, most of the time, it was very uh, very dark cobblestone streets, uh, no cars anywhere, so you could park wherever, uh, and mostly residential. Right. And now, in the block where I live, there are three residences left. The rest are all businesses, either a store or a restaurant. Really? In fact... Do you, now, live in,
2: do you live in a house or an apartment?
0: Yeah. No, in a house. In fact, now I have a... Right around the corner, uh, around one corner I have a Starbucks and around the other corner oh. I have an aroma cafe right. and a Fredo ice cream place. It's, it was such a complete turnaround in how that neighborhood mm-hmm. changed.
2: Frank, you've been here now for 10 years. Yeah. What are you? What's your nationality?
0: I don't really... Th- I think I'm an, an, an expat. An expat, I think, is more like a temporary situation. I couldn't say that I'm going to stay here for the rest of my life just like I couldn't say I was going to stay for the rest of my life in Chicago, but I don't have any plans on leaving. So...
2: So, at this point in time, does Argentina, Buenos areas, give you everything you need? Uh, uh, pretty
0: close. <laughs> yeah. That's a good thing. Yeah. That's a good thing. No, we, we have our growing business, we have a growing family. Uh, Things are, are, are going pretty well. We're
2: here in a, a premises that is very familiar. I mean, This could be back where I come from. This could be in a lot of places in the US or in the UK or Europe. I've seen some rather wealthy places while I've been here. Yes. I've seen some very nice houses and I've seen a lot of wealth on the streets. And I haven't seen much of the poverty other than when I came in from the airport. Mm. What's going on with the culture there?
0: Well, you know the, the funny thing is, um, Buenos Aires is a huge, huge city. Most people only see a, a small sliver of it, yeah. um, but it is. Most of the time, you do have poverty, just uh, the the worst kind of poverty, right next to, uh, just the most luxurious homes. Uh, that you can see it, it, it is mixed in together in the city there are some places where you can see some of that poverty but you have to know uh, where to look um, in the outside of the city in what they call the, in what would be a suburb it, sometimes you have these poor areas uh, where they built right next to an enclosed community you know with a, with a wall on one side separating you know a, a luxurious home with a swimming pool and on the other side you have shacks uh... that's very common here so you, you do see it but you gotta, you gotta know where to, where to look and, and it is pretty prevalent it's not like brazil and rio where it's you see it everywhere um, the poverty is it's just everywhere you can look uh... you can see it's not quite to that extent the same thing happens, but at a smaller scale.
2: Yeah, they, they are they more enclosed in areas. This this is here's one pocket of poverty and another pocket there, and a pocket of bohemia and a pocket of wealth and a pocket of industry.
0: In in uh, the city, yeah. See more spread out poverty. You do have to head outside of the city a little right. bit. It's been a fun ride, it's also been interesting. There's a few things that one has to get used to, or they do things differently here than they do in the States. Here for example, when people uh, apply for jobs, the questions they ask you are very personal and, and, and they don't always just relate, or they're not only confined to you. I mean, they ask you about your family as well.
2: <laughs> so, uh, tell about an employee coming to work for you, or yeah. you working for somebody else?
0: Um, well, I I ran into that as an expat coming here and looking for jobs. That was my first. They would ask you personal things. Yeah. All right. Um, and then also, everybody. It's here. It's common practice. You have to send your picture. Your picture has to be attached with your your resume. Um, and it's also fairly common to see them asking for attractive attractiveness. <laughs> You know, uh, which is something, it's stuff that you would never be you know, able it's you you it's couldn't get away with anywhere no, it's else. It's not allowed anymore, is it? <laughs> yeah, here here it's still done. That was that was a that was a bit of a shocker as far as things get used to.
2: I've spoken to a few people and they've described the Argentine relationship dynamic, the way men and women interact, and it seems to be. How well, would you put it, old-fashioned in all ways? Is that the way it is, do you think?
0: Well, yeah, you know I didn't have ringside to that because my wife is spending a lot of time near, in the States. Um, she just, she's different. Yeah. But the way we met kind of I think brings that out a little bit. We met at a bar it was one of my clients' uh, bar, and he invited me to go out there, and uh, we met out on the dance floor. We talked for a few minutes, and then her friends were leaving, so I gave her my business card. I told her, "Here, you know, you like to, you know, I would like to see you, if you'd like, give me a call." Her Argentine friend said they were like so insulted that he that I would give my business card and have her call me, you know the girl is not supposed to chase the boy. Yeah. Uh, he should be calling you. So they were telling her to just forget, you know, talk to me. But luckily for me, she had American friends who she also asked because she was wondering, you know, is this normal? <laughs> and they said, yeah, it's cool. He's, he's, um, he's not going to pressure you. He's not chasing you. He's not like this, you know, guy who's going to bug you. He's giving you the choice. He's like, you have the choice to call him. So if you like them, give him a call. So right there, that exemplifies a little bit about like the difference in the cultures. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. And of course, she called you, and you went and to live, lived yeah. happily ever after.
0: Luckily enough, she listened to her American friends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you see the different
2: dynamic playing out with your friends here, though?
0: No, I, most of most of my like friends are a lot of them are mixed couples, and uh, others the the new friends that are all Argentine. Most are all married. I guess it's just the age. I mean, they're all married and stuff, so I don't get to see, I don't get to see that playing out.
2: Yeah, that's the age group you're in, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I don't have a lot of single friends anymore. (laughs) No, it happens. happens.
2: (laughs) In about 10 years time, they'll start turning up again, (laughs) end up with twice as many.
0: One other challenge for us as growing in this thing is that we have to learn how to be bosses.
2: Is there a different way to work?
0: Is there this whole manana thing?
2: You yeah, take it easy. There's no rush. You yeah, time is a very flexible thing. Truth is a little bit flexible, even.
0: Actually, uh, no. I think I think you you could run into that depending on on what kind of job uh, you're looking to fill. But um, here, no, we've had most of our employees have been very proactive very responsible very team oriented the one thing that I I I could say maybe that's a little bit different is that they weren't very used to the idea of of participating so much in decision making in other words they were very they're much more comfortable sitting back and just waiting for um Waiting for orders and instructions, um, but we, we would we have coaxed them into saying, "Okay, here's your goal. I want you to to get to this, you know, and and you figure out how to you know how to get to that." And that's something we've had to kind of help them along into doing. Have they found that valuable? I think they so far the comments we've received, uh, the feedback we've gotten from them. and Uh, Yeah, they're very positive. And also, we have a very low turnover, which if you've talked to, if you do get a chance to talk to any other business owners, you're going to find that one of the biggest problems that they have is employees in the sense that they have a lot of turnover. Um, That could also be with, depending on the industry. In a sense that a lot of the business owners that I know have like restaurants or cafes mm, I mean, or something, course. and that's a very, very high turnover. I think that is worldwide,
2: those sort of places.
0: Right. Um, but even so, in a country like Argentina, with the laws that they have for uh, workers, even people across all kinds of industries will say that one of their biggest problems or biggest headaches are employees.
2: Right, because they'll leave... At the drop of a hat.
0: Well, no, it's not that. It's not that they leave. Well, if they do want to leave, they want to make you fire them. Oh. Um,
2: because there's some benefits in that.
0: Oh yeah, it's very expensive to to split ways with <laughs> with employees. Why is that? <laughs> the unions. First off, it's a law here. I mean, all the workers are unionized. It's like a national union. Um, you don't have a choice. There's no union shop. There's, I mean, there is, but it's even they don't have a choice they come to get a job they have to be part of the union i understand it in the past i guess they had a lot of uh a lot of people taking advantage of their employees and and as a result they have a very strong union um and all the country's unionized so yeah you have to you have to pay a lot of money to fire them
2: even if they're incompetent yeah
0: yeah i mean well, you have so that to ma- that
2: that makes you'd be very careful when you employ somebody. Right, exactly. Very, very careful. Mm -hmm. What else is different about the culture back home?
0: You did mention about time and the flexibility of time. People are frequently late, but I think it also goes hand in hand with the difficulty of getting from one place to another here. You do have great public transportation, in the sense that uh, if you learn the bus routes and whatnot, you, buses take you all over the place. But it, it does get to be chaotic. Right now it's, it's fairly stable, but it is very common for people to strike. And all of a sudden when they strike, they, they do it the purpose of trying to cut off the city from the rest. I remember when I was working for the relocation company, it was on the north side of the city, outside of the city on the north side. And a lot of the employees lived on the south suburbs, so they had to cross the city. And on those days that they were going to announce um, strikes, they couldn't go to work. So like, no strikes are going to be here. So I mean, we would, almost all our employees would be would not show up on that on that day. Take three hours to get to work. That would happen, and, it, and sometimes like the subway the subways would strike or the taxis would strike or you know somebody would strike or you know you have 50 people striking and they cut off the street and it just throws the whole downtown into chaos you know it that that happens
2: yeah I saw a protest the other day marching through the street yeah you know I just thought with the amount of traffic that flows through the city what does that do mm-hmm. just log jams I don't imagine yeah, yeah. yeah. you've been here ten years you got a wife and how many kids? Two two kids, you've got a raging business, you like the town, you like the country, no great desire to race back, but you might one day. Mm. Is that basically it? you Are happy to stay and just let it bubble along and see how life evolves for you?
0: Well, yeah, we want to stay, and actually this business is our um, efforts at trying to stay, trying to be here, um, trying to stay here. We want to, we want to be the name brand for like when somebody thinks of cookies in Argentina, we want it to be us. Um, well, you've maxed out the packaging. Thank you. <laughs> it's hard, <laughs> hardcore packaging. I've never seen anything like
2: it. It's as though like you're giving somebody a piece of jewelry yeah. rather than a biscuit. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> Thanks. Uh, we, well, yeah, that's we wanted to throw up as many barriers in the in the market as possible one of them was through packaging and the other one you mentioned the the ingredient the chocolate and the cookie not only does the cookie have good chocolate but it also has a lot of it Mm. and it also has walnuts in there so if anybody wants to come into the market and they want to look at our cookies first and then they have to see how many uh, inclusions they have to have in their product just to break even and match you. And they're like, you know, they're gonna think twice about it. You know, yeah. if they if they want to compete on quality with us, it's a tough hurdle to surpass.
2: And there's no reason for you to get out of it, is there? Just grow
0: it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It sounds like it sounds like good business and good life. It looks like you've got it sorted.
0: So far. <laughs> <laughs> I don't what? want any monkey wrenches while flying in <laughs> into it. Well Frank. <laughs> That's great. Thanks for coming on Your Story. Thanks for telling
2: me all about it, and uh, all the best.
0: Thank you. Thank Thank
2: you. you.